Good morning, SunWest, on site and online. I'm Dave. I'm the pastor of the Community Life, and it is my joy to be here with you this morning. Uh, we're going to continue into our series, The Parables of Jesus. And uh, what an amazing time that the kids had, hey? Around the uh, Fish Creek Park, uh, Provincial Park, as well as uh, on the first day, they actually were all inside here because it rained out. And uh, boy, I, I could hear the exuberance from my closed office doors. I was trying to write this sermon and uh, a wedding for Friday. And I just was like, I'm glad they're going to Fish Creek Park the next day. (laughs) Wow, what an amazing, amazing time uh, that the kids had. Well, how many of us eat supper together each night uh, at the dinner table? Just raise your hand if you do. Yeah, just uh, about three or four of you do. The rest of you don't. Well, the Chow family actually does gather around the dinner table at nighttime, and uh, if you are in the Chow household, there's absolutely nothing taboo that we talk about around the table. In fact, it's where we talk out of life stuff, and we work things out, and we discuss things, we listen, we learn, and we learn to defend opinions, and we even learn to share bombastic opinions. And we talk about current events, and we even talk about the odd questions of relationships and sex, and we laugh, and we cringe a lot, uh, but we talk about everything. In today's passage, Jesus is guest at a banquet and at a supper uh, table, and he's sitting as a guest in a religious leader's home. He knows he's being put on the spot, and he's being tested, and the religious leaders of his day were very skeptical about Jesus. They were trying to trap him in his own words. And they thought Jesus was scandalous. They thought he was blasphemous. They thought that uh, they were wanting to just catch him doing something wrong so they could nail him. But Jesus sees this, and instead he challenges the challengers. And it's regarding their own ethics. He has a conversation around the table that they're sitting at, and he wants to talk about life. He wants to go deeper, and in some ways, he shares a story that's somewhat cringe-worthy. Jesus goes on to talk about what the kingdom of God is really like. And with the story, he reminds the religious leaders that the kingdom of God is not what they think it is. In fact, Jesus' lesson still speaks to us today as he challenges us to consider what we think about himself, Jesus, his kingdom, and his character. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app with you, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. Go into your Bible or your Bible app. Uh, You can also follow along on the screen behind me, but you might want to keep it there for reference so you can swish back to the different verses I'll be talking about. We'll read from today's New Living Translation. Starting in verse 15, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a privilege it would be to have a share in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with this illustration, a man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. When all was ready, he sent his servant around to notify the guests that it was time for them to come. But they all began making excuses. One said he had just bought a field and wanted to inspect it, and so he asked to be excused. Another said he had just bought five pair of oxen and wanted to try them out. Another had just been married 
So he said he couldn't come. Well, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was angry and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the city. Invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, and the blind. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more, master. And so his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I invited first will get even the smallest taste of what I had prepared for them. And this is the reading of the word. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord, for today's text. It's a hard text. God, we recognize, Lord, that we know when you speak, you speak in order to change us. You speak in order to heal us and to move us forward in new ways. So we thank you for that. And we thank you for your promise that you may never let any word go forth from your mouth without it accomplishing the purposes for which you sent it. And so God, in your mercy and in your grace, would you fulfill the purposes of today's passage in our lives as never before? And we pray this for your glory and all of God's people said, amen. So friends, today's text is somewhat a somewhat hard text we find one of the most autobiographical parables that jesus ever spoke in today's text today's parable is traditionally known as the parable of the great banquet and in it jesus opens up his heart to us in ways that he doesn't in other parables look back at the scriptures if you have them with you do you hear his voice in this story that we had just read that jesus tells at the banquet table Come, everything is ready now. Do you hear the disappointment and the sadness in his voice as he questions them? And he says, but they all began making excuses. Do you hear the passion and the deep desire as Jesus proclaims, so that my house may be filled? Friends, Jesus calls us into the grand adventure of discipleship. He says, come to me. He says, come follow behind me. It's a call to enter into a qualitatively different kind of life. It's a call to come with Jesus into intimacy with God the Father. And it is a call to join him in the inner life of God the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's the call to join him in the kingdom of God and the reign of God. It's the call to go further up and to go further in. It's the call to a very different kind of life. As you read in the parable, it's this life that Jesus characterized as so full, so rich, so vibrant, so fresh, and so lavish. It's so delicious, actually, that the most appropriate descriptive image of discipleship is supposed to be that of a banquet. Over and over again, in both the Old and the New Testament, the life that the living God wants to give the world is spoken of in terms of a banquet or a feast. Let's take a brief look at Isaiah 25, if you have that with you, or you can just follow along behind me here. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. 
It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat for those who are meat eaters. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. And in Jesus' day, they didn't have to worry about gluten-free and, and necessary as, as many dairy uh, allergies and things that we have today. And so the picture he was building as Isaiah read the scripture and as Jesus is sharing the, the visuals, the verbal visuals of a banquet is something of a sumptuous feast, something that would, you'd go for uh, and see at a wedding banquet like I was just at on Friday. It's interesting just how many important conversations Jesus has while dining with others around table. In fact, he has some of his most profound conversations around a table. And throughout the New Testament, someone throws a banquet. They throw a dinner party. They throw a wedding feast. And the great climax of the biblical narrative in the last book of the Bible, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, involves a joyous celebration of the wedding supper of the Lamb. The call to discipleship is the call to participate in a banquet. Yes, the call to discipleship is actually a call to follow Jesus. It is a call to sacrifice and to challenge. And Jesus is very clear with us about that. His disciples, in fact, all of his followers, including us, will experience troubles or challenges as we seek to obey God in this world. We are, after all, following the one that Isaiah called a man of sorrows. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was well acquainted with grief. We are, all of us, after all, following the one who got himself crucified. And he tells us to carry our own crosses every day. But all the trials and all the troubles, the suffering, the grief, and the pain is just part of living in the kingdom of God. Living a life following Jesus is filled with pain. It is filled with sacrifice. It is filled with challenges. But it is also a life that is so full and so rich and so lavish, and it can only be described and spoken of as a banquet. Can you hear the joy in Jesus' voice? Dinner is ready. Come on in. And can you hear the disappointment in his voice? There he is, the great host, God himself, in our flesh and blood. And he's inviting people with open arms, come in, dinner's ready. And there they are. And there we are, making excuses. Now, it's important to emphasize that in today's portion of Scripture, Jesus is not actually speaking to those who have heard this call for the very first time. He's speaking to people who have heard this call many times, and they understand it. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people of God, including us, are who Jesus is talking to. And the people to whom Jesus is speaking have already heard this invitation to the banquet and they have already said that they would come. Especially when it's time, when that dinner bell goes. And it's just that, when dinner is announced. And you know how some of us have those dinner bells? I know we did because uh, we have four kids that were growing up. And when the four of them were quite young and, 
and were all over the place. We were in this townhouse complex in Vancouver, and they were in the, the playground. And so when Charlene was like, okay, it's dinner time, I am not running around yelling at the top of my lungs. I'll just ring a bell because that, that travels. She would ring it, and they would come running most of the time. <laughs> the thing is, in today's parable, when that dinner bell rings, they begin making excuses. I mean, we said that we would follow Jesus, right? Wherever he leads us, right? Jesus is good. And we believe that, don't we? We'll follow you, God. We said that we would follow Jesus wherever he leads us, right? The problem is, sometimes Jesus leads us to where we did not think he would lead us. He leads us to places that we had not actually planned in our own minds that he would lead us. And so Kenneth Bailey, missionary theologian, spent most of his adult life studying the Gospels in the Middle East. And in his book, Through Present Eyes, Bailey describes some of the cultural nuances that are going on in today's text. I'm going to share some of those with you today. He tells us that a village host must provide the appropriate amount of meat for the guests. It's the main course. And it depends on how many people were coming. If a small number of guests were coming, then perhaps the host would have some chickens served. And if a large number of guests, perhaps a goat, if it was a great, enormous amount of people, maybe a fattened calf would be served. And that makes sense, doesn't it? You take out the appropriate amount of meat to serve the crowd. And then the host would send out invites And the guests would reply, just like what we would use as evites these days. And we'd reply on our phone. And depending on how many people respond with coming, the host would then decide what kind of meat to serve on that day. And remember now, this is 2,000 years ago, and this is in the Middle East. Okay, so they didn't have refrigeration. uh, And once the meat was selected, the countdown to the banquet then would begin. So they didn't have Samsung or LG in which they can throw all the leftovers in. Uh, They didn't have supermarkets like Safeway, Superstore, or Costco like we do. Once they had the number of guests coming, they take the time to actually slaughter the animal or the animals and then butcher them and then just start the cooking with all the sides, right? And so then the process is now irreversible. This banquet is being prepared, and the host is expecting all the people to come who said that they'd come. And so that meat has to be eaten that evening. You might recall, if you've never been to the the Middle East, it is hot, and we're having a a pretty warm week. Uh, It's been hotter, like last year was just amazingly hot. Imagine if it was that hot last year, and you have your meat and a banquet, and uh, you have a whole bunch of leftovers. What are you going to do with them? You have nowhere to put them. So you want people to come and to enjoy it. Indeed, otherwise, it's going to the garbage. So the host would literally take all day to prepare with his friends and family, whoever was helping, maybe staff, and they prepare this meal. And then at the hour of that banquet, a message would then go out. Okay, dinner is ready. That bell would ring, right? Dinner has come. Come on in. In other words, the meat is ready. It's time to enjoy it. Come on in. And that is why when the guests said that they come, there is an expectation that they would come. 
And can you hear the excitement in Jesus' voice as he says, dinner is ready. We're ready to eat. I, I know some of you, I've seen you eat. When dinner is called, you can eat. And I am not as fast as an eater as some of you are. Jesus is saying, come on in. This wonderful meal is being prepared for you. Let's enjoy it together. Do you hear the passion in his voice? I want my house filled. I want that table, every chair around the table to be filled. Fill my house, he says. God's passion is to fill. God will not be satisfied until the house is full. And this is one of the driving factors in Christian mission and ministry today. The living God wants to fill his house. Which means that if those who are first on the guest list choose not to come, he will then make a new guest list because he has to fill his house. My refusal to come, your refusal to come, will not postpone the banquet. He will fill his house. Can you hear the disappointment in his voice? But they all began making excuses. The savior of the world is throwing a party. It's a feast. It's like a wedding banquet. And those who said they'd like to come are now making excuses. They're no longer coming. Can you hear his disappointment? Can you feel his pain? If you've ever tried to extend encouragement, or if you've ever tried sharing the gift of peace or joy and that person won't take it, then you'd understand what Jesus is feeling. If you're a parent, for those of us who are parents, we know that feeling very well when we want our children to choose what's best for them and and they don't. Those of us who are teachers or counselors or pastors, we know that feeling as well when we can't force that person to make that choice. In fact, that would be taking away their, their dignity, right? But when they make that choice and it's not the best choice, we kind of are disheartened. We're like, oh. I think that's how Jesus was feeling when he started hearing those excuses. And he's the one who fully knows us. So he knows what's going on. He knows that if we just come every day and follow him and do what he tells us, if we just come and go deeper into life with him, we'd experience a quality of life that was very much like experiencing a wedding banquet. But many of us, most of us who are invited, who said we'd come when invited, actually choose not to come. For additional context to today's passage, Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet on the Sabbath. It's a Saturday. That's the day of rest. There's no work to be done on that day. And that's in verses 1 to 6. It's in the home of a religious leader. It's a Pharisee. And at this meal, Jesus delves into the issue of hospitality. Jesus winds up healing a man whose arms and legs are swollen. And Jesus offers healing to people, uh, contrary to the Pharisees' understanding of what the joy of the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. People weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, and Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And apparently one of the Pharisees gets it. It, Like the light goes off on his head, and he gets it. And one of the religious leaders understands what Jesus is saying, and he wants in on what Jesus is offering in verse 15, and that's what today's passage uh, begins with. And so the religious leader says, what a privilege it would be to have a share in the kingdom of God. And then this is the whole point of Jesus' parable right here. 
The only ones who actually enjoy the feast are those who, when the bell is sounded, when the call is made, they actually stop what they're doing, they turn around, and they go to the banqueting table. Those who actually get up and follow Jesus are the ones who benefit. So can you feel the sadness when Jesus says, they all began making excuses? One guest says, I have just bought a field and want to inspect it, so he asks to be excused. Another guest says, I've just bought five pair of oxen and want to try them out. Yet another guest says, I've just been married, Jesus, and so I can't come. Can't come or will not come. There's a difference. What is your excuse? I know my excuse. In fact, I probably have more than one. What is your excuse when the dinner bell goes and you don't answer Jesus' call? When Jesus calls us to follow him in ways that we have not planned for ourselves, what is our excuse? Three things are true about most of the excuses that Jesus hears in our time. We'll briefly go through that. Number one, most of our spoken excuses are really not the real issues for not following Jesus into the next step of discipleship. In the parable, the first guest says he has to inspect some land that he had just bought. And think about that for a minute. When was the last time you bought land? A house, property, sight unseen without even going and checking it out. None of us. When have you bought something without looking at it first on Amazon, going through those little screens of looking at it from all the angles, or inspecting it in the mall, picking it up and looking at it? When was the last time you'd done that? None of us. Then once purchased, you go and check it out. Well, maybe that happens in Vancouver and Toronto, but not in Calgary. But imagine for a moment what that person was saying to Jesus. Remember when you first bought your first home? Did you take along a building inspector with you? Like, that's prudence, isn't it? We did when we bought our place. Uh, And when he was done with the inspection, we had a big, thick booklet of all the things that were needing to be taken care of with this home, right? Saying, hey, here's the risk that you're getting into, or here's the joy that you're getting into. As a homeowner, are are you interested still? And if so, it's good to be informed so you know what you're buying. And that would, in fact, help inform what the offer is going to look like, right? That, that has typically been the case. And so this was done prior to the purchase. Is the banquet host supposed to believe that the guest went and bought a piece of property sight unseen? This person's excuse is a simple, in my mind, a bald-faced lie, and everyone who is hearing Jesus tell this story, actually knows it. That was the point. Imagine canceling your dinner date two hours before the event and then telling your host that you just bought your new home and that you're, you bought it over the phone, actually, and you're now going to go and take a look at it for the first time. And you're going to check out the neighborhood, by the way. Imagine the embarrassment that that host would feel. In the parable, the second guest then says he cannot come because he had just... He just bought a, pair, a five pair of oxen. And uh, like, really? 
you're going to go and try your oxen that you just bought. Now, think about that for a minute. How many of you have bought tools, or machinery, or even a car, and you didn't check it out first? Like any farmer worth his weight, anyone buying oxen in Jesus' time, and even in these days, a John Deere tractor, you would have tried that machinery or that oxen prior to the purchase because something might be wrong with it and you might want to adjust the pricing. So they wouldn't get hoodwinked, right? That's the whole point. Well, in fact, they'd go out and work with the animals on the land and they would actually test how strong the animals are and how long they could work without having to be fed again prior to purchasing those animals every single time. So the host is supposed to be Someone who believes that the guest has bought these oxen without even trying them. Again, another bald-faced lie. It would be like me calling Charlene and saying, hey, right before dinner, uh, sorry, honey, I can't come to the dinner that we are hosting for our First Impressions volunteers at the church. Uh, and There's probably like 50 people coming. I can't be there. Sorry, uh, I just bought a used car, and I'm going to go check it out for the first time to see what color it is. And actually, you know what, honey? I don't know if the engine even turns over. But I bought it. Money spent. She'd be like, what? You're done. (laughs) Like dinner. No one would ever do that, right? In the parable, the third guest now says he can't come to the banquet because he just got married. And this guest does not even ask to be excused like the first guest. He just got married, he says, so I can't come. Pretty bad taste in the Middle East, if you've ever been there. But pretty bad manners even in our culture here in the North. Ancient Jewish law, uh, if you want to look it up in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, excused newly married men from military service and all major responsibilities for one whole year. Men, that sounds pretty good. You don't have to serve work. You get to enjoy the youth of the wife of your youth for one whole year without any responsibilities. Uh, I'll take it. Maybe this stipulation is what's allowed that third guest then to step back on his commitment to come to the banquet. Regardless, he could have gone if he had wanted to. Because he had a whole year. He had all the time in the world, right? So the fact of the matter is here is his excuse is another bald-faced lie. Can you imagine? He had not just gotten married, by the way, because if he, the third guest had just gotten married, that whole village would have been invited to the banquet, and the host who's ho- inviting this guest wouldn't have put on a banquet because he would have been invited to that wedding banquet. So again, it's kind of like, what are you thinking, third guest? You, are, you too are actually being caught in a lie. That was the whole point. It's just another excuse, and it's a bad one. All three of those were bad excuses. Normally, we don't verbalize the reasons like that uh, when we're giving our excuses. We, we make something else up that sounds a little bit more palatable. We don't do those bald-faced, bold lies that basically say to the host, no, you know what? You're not worth it. In fact, we don't like you. (laughs) That's what those lies are kind of saying. For instance, some of us may actually say that we have, 
when it comes to Jesus' intellectual problems with Jesus' claims. And as compelling as those claims may be, those claims just don't seem to be able to be sustained in our worldview. I get that, and I understand that. We don't get the miracles that Jesus says he does. So I don't know if he's real. But for many of us, if not all of us who say this, the intellectual dimension is actually not the issue at all. They understand that claim very well. It's just that they don't want to buy into the moral and ethical implications of that claim, that Jesus is Lord. The French existentialist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre once said, belief in God makes my morality impossible. Again, he says, belief in God makes my morality impossible. I, I can't change how I live. To which a Dutch pastor then uh, responded, Sartre's morality makes the non-existence of God a necessity. In other words, there has to be a God, so buddy, get with it. Many say, I like Jesus, I just can't affirm that he is Lord over, over all of my life. In fact, over all of life. What they're actually saying is, I cannot affirm that Jesus is Lord over all of life because there are areas of my life over which I still want to be Lord. I still want to be the king in my life. Unlike the song that we sang, is Jesus the king of our heart? Is he really my song that I'm singing all the time? If Jesus is Lord over all of life, it means that I have to actually change. And I don't want to change. I think that is the actual truth of the matter for us with that reason. Many say that Jesus is wonderful. No one is like him. But given all the suffering in the world that we're seeing today, and there's a lot of chaos in our world these days, admittedly, that's done in his name. I mean, even Russia is having the the Russian Orthodox Church pray over weapons and missiles before they're launched. And fired. There are things done in Jesus' name that is just horrific. I totally hear that, friend. And I understand that. But sometimes, not always, that is not the real issue. The real issue is either some personal pain that Jesus has not yet healed in our own lives, or the realization that when we bring the pain of the world to Jesus... Jesus is going to actually ask us to participate with him in bringing his comfort to the world around us. Some of us, uh, we just don't want to be a part of that. We just don't want to give up our own comfort. And sometimes that's the real issue here. So the excuses that we verbalize are rarely the real reason for not doing what Jesus has called us to do. Now, the second thing about most excuses that Jesus hears is this. They actually reveal our first loves, our true loves. Our excuses reveal our true values and our priorities. In today's parable, the invited guests' unspoken first loves kept them from participating in the banquet. And the same goes for us. If left unsurrendered to Jesus, our unspoken but deeply held values and priorities will keep us from enjoying the banquet, the banqueting life of the kingdom of God. Let me say it another way. 
Our excuses for not following Jesus' leading, for not doing what he had asked us to do, reveal our true sources of identity and security. Our excuses reveal where we find significance and where we find wholeness. For example, we don't have time to do our devotions or read the Bible. Or we don't have time to worship. We don't have time to pray. We don't have time to do these other things. Because we're just too busy. But are we too busy with what? With other things than taking time to be with Jesus? Other things than being with the one who loves us for who we really are? And taking time to be with the one who actually knows who we are with all of our blemishes. And he doesn't reject us. Too busy sometimes means that we can find our security or our comfort elsewhere other than Jesus. Am I being too harsh here? (laughs) I'm just listing some of the reasons that I don't go to him. And I'm sure some of us can relate to that. Now, the only folk that will really let off here from being too busy would be those moms of newborns, parents of newborns, those who are caring for people who are very infirmed or developmentally disabled. I totally get it. We have family who are involved in both. These folk literally don't have free time to themselves. Free time is like sleep. I know I'm overstating the point, friends, but... Really, the rest of us don't really have an excuse. I'm too busy, Jesus. (laughs) Our excuses, actually, friends, reveal what our idols are. We all have them. I have them. And may I submit to you that to be human is to be an idol worshiper. Finite values given infinite weight and good gifts of God given godlike power over us. For example, if I cannot make the time to be engaged in the kinds of activities that help me know and love Jesus Christ, it simply means that I'm more in love with someone else or something else other than Jesus. It's just that simple. Everything else I might be engaged in might actually be perfectly good. I'm not saying that they're bad. They might actually be perfectly good. It's just that everything else now is more important than the one who loves us with everything he's got. Have you ever noticed that we can say in one breath, I don't have time to do my devotions. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to join that prayer meeting. But then we can say in another breath, boy, did you see that Netflix show? Um, that, did you binge that, that series? Did you see that hockey game? Did you hear that Kachuk just got traded? Oh my goodness. And then just talk about that and not... Think about your faith. Our excuses give away our true loves, friends. There's a third and last thing about excuses that Jesus hears, and it's a flip side of the second one. Our excuses reveal what we think of the host and his banquet. Let me say that again in a different way. Our excuses reveal our assessment of the relative worth of Jesus to ourselves. Some of our excuses may say that in the final analysis, Jesus and his kingdom just aren't all that inviting. Now, none of us may say that out loud. 
But it's what we're saying to our thoughts and our actions. Our actions speak louder than our words. The excuse says, thank you, Jesus. There are better offers. And I can find fulfillment in other things other than what you're offering me and other than what you're telling me to do. Again, we'd never say that out loud, but it's what we're saying through our actions, through our thoughts. Or, Jesus, your offer is not that all that the Bible makes it up to be. I really like you. I really do. But right now, what you're offering me isn't a whole lot better than what the world is offering me right now. Again, we'd never say that out loud, but is what we're saying to our actions, to our thoughts. Am I being too hard on us today? I want this to be a pastoral message, not a prophetic one. But these are the excuses that come to my mind, that I make up when I go before the Lord, and that prevent me from going to Him. I put so many other things ahead of Him. And if I do, I'm wondering if you do as well. Now, in the Middle East, one insults the host by accepting the invitation and then not coming when the bell is rung. Not too different from our own culture here today, is it? As followers of Jesus, friends, do you see what an insult it is to turn down Jesus when he says, come and follow me in this new way, whatever way that might be? Now, we may never use insulting language. That's not what Canadians do. But when we turn him down, when we turn Jesus down, when he calls us to move in a new way and we do not, we're telling him he's not worth the effort. We're telling Jesus that you're just not worth the risk, Jesus. Some of our excuses insult him by calling his character into question. Sorry, Jesus, I don't think I can count on you right now. Even if your offer of the banquet is more fulfilling, I just don't think you can deliver in my case. Because my case is really complex. Now, we might not say that out loud, but we might be thinking that. Some of our excuses reveal that we think that Jesus is maybe naive to what is going on in the world today. Jesus, your life is so out of touch with reality, with the way things are going on today, in today's world. You know, blessed are the meek and gentle. Who who lives like that? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right relationship and for justice. Especially when they're in my way at the C train station on Southland Station and they're preventing me from going to work. Like those homeless people. Love your enemies. That guy just cut in front of me on Deerfoot Trail and I just want to just lay into him. Forgive those who hurt me, especially when they're family. Lose your life to find it. Aya. Chinese say, aya. <laughs> our excuses reveal our assessment of the relative worth of the banquet host. Our excuses are almost a judgment on him. Jesus, you're. Your claims that you've made about yourself, they, they're just overstatements. Savior of the world, Lord of all life, creator of all things. Wow, <laughs> those are pretty presumptuous titles. Some of us might think that Jesus is very bright, 
smart. He's a good philosopher, good teacher. But some of us might think that Jesus might not quite understand our world that we're living in today. Now, we might not actually say that out loud, but we might be thinking it. And that's what we're actually saying when we turn Jesus down. Maybe if we verbalize it or we just say it in plain English, it may make more sense. God already knows what's in our hearts, so why don't we just speak it out to him in prayer? Why don't we just say it out loud? Jesus, the life you offer isn't as good as you say it is. Or maybe we should say, you can't be trusted to care for me or my family if I step out in obedience. Or maybe we should say to him, your call to discipleship just won't make it in the city of Calgary these days. Because if we say it out loud to him, he hears. And we're actually admitting. That's the more important part. We're admitting to him, this is what's going on in our hearts. And that's then something that Jesus can work with. Jesus, your call simply isn't worth it. Uh, The changes I have to make in my life simply is going to cost me too much. And that's hard. You're not worth the hassle, God. When you are able to verbalize that, you're not going to get hit by lightning, friends. I've said it in one of my sermons before. Jesus is not Zeus. He's not going to smite you because you said you're not worth it, God. In fact, he's going to say, well, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that with me. Are you willing to listen to how much I love you? Are you willing to listen to how much I care for you? I hear the sadness in Jesus' voice in this parable that we just read today. In the question asked through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah says this, What injustice did your ancestors find in me, that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? God is saying, what did I do? What did I do to make you think that I do not love you? What did I do to make you think that I cannot give you full life and life worth living? What did I do to make you think that if you follow me wholeheartedly with everything that you have, that I'm going to let you down? That is what God is, is thinking through Jeremiah. And Jesus calls us. He says, friends, come to this banquet, to this table. The life I have in you, this life that is worth living is so lavish. It is filled with so many delights, so many treats, so many things that I can only describe it as a banquet. Friends, we all know that it is a new day and that in the midst of all the chaos and in the world today, the Holy Spirit is moving fresh and in very powerful ways. He's calling us beyond what we have known. He's calling us beyond what we've actually been up to this point. Friends, I don't want to be left out of that call. I don't think you want to be left out either. Come, everything is ready. What is holding us back? What is holding you back? What is holding you back from moving forward and obeying Jesus' call? What is your excuse? I invite you to tell Jesus through prayer. Come to his table. Come to him and tell him. 
and then watch him melt your excuse in his relentless love for you. What a privilege it would be to have a share in the kingdom of God. What a privilege indeed. Thanks be to God. Amen. God, we need you. Help us to bring our excuses before you at the table and lay them down at your feet. You already know what's in our heart and in our minds, and you, yet you choose to love us. You laid your life down before us out of love for your creation. Remind us of that, Lord. Nothing can offend you more than if we just hold back and walk away. Thank you for that invitation to come before you, Lord to come and to sup with you, to enjoy full life with you as we follow you in this life that is as sumptuous, as lavish as this beautiful banquet. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, this day, this song was an invitation to you to pray, to connect to the one who has made you. We have prayer teams here at the front. If you are willing to share or if you'd like to share, they are here for your benefit. And if you'd like to come and talk to me or talk to one of the staff, we're happy to do so as well. If you'd like to keep that personal, uh, we do have prayer teams as well online at prayer at sunwestchurch.com. Please feel free to make your your prayer request known that way. At the least, tell somebody, share that request with somebody. God is waiting for you and wants to bless you and wants you to know that he loves you. You're not alone. Let's do life together. Thank you for coming this week. Have a great week. Peace to you.